I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you by an eye of faith to go with me this morning to the wedding chapel. It's June. It's the traditional time for weddings. And the chapel looks like a veritable garden as it's filled with the fragrance of fresh cut flowers. The candelabras are massive and they're beautiful as they're lighted and their soft glow fills the entire chapel. In the balcony, there's a chorus of well-trained voices and they're softly singing the wedding march. And as that last attendant reaches the platform, they begin a crescendo and they start to sing louder and the doors open at the back of the chapel. And there she is. In all of her splendor, She's wearing an exclusive design from Kleinfeld's by Henry Roth. And the groom is the very first one to see her. As the radiant bride emerges from the foyer, as she begins her walk, he looks at her. His eyes are filled with love and admiration. His heart begins to race. A tear comes to his eye, a smile comes to his lips, and every head in the chapel turns and looks to the back to watch his bride while she walks down the aisle. Step by step, row by row, they follow her every movement. And as they watch her, they cry, and they laugh, and they beam, and they rejoice. And the wait... The wait was worth it all. Because the bride invariably steals the show. Not only does she dazzle us, but she ignites the day. She ignites it with hope and with dreams and with celebration. Think about that scene. And as you think of the beauty of that scene and the splendor of that bride and the attention that she draws, perhaps that's why God chose a bride as a symbol to represent the church. You see, folks, just like every head turned to watch that bride, Jesus intended for His church to turn heads. And Jesus intended for His church to turn the world upside down. Jesus intended for His church to radiate hope and purity in a world filled with darkness and cynicism. And now, let's face the cold, hard truth and the cold, hard reality as the church we have lost sight of who we are. The bride of Christ. We've lost sight of why it is that we exist. 
We have forgotten the powerful, wondrous things that we can do beside our omnipotent partner. Apathy, aimlessness, and often a pure lack of faith have clouded our vision. Often our reputation's been tainted by moral breakdowns. Our reputation's been tainted by disconnect between what we are and what we claim to be. It's time. It's time for the bride of Christ to reflect the character of her groom. It's time for the Bride of Christ to reaffirm her faith and respond to His leaning and His leading. It's time for us to renew our passion for the church. Why does the church exist? It's a valid question, isn't it? Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? You could probably list numerous reasons for the existence of the church. To present the gospel to the lost. Absolutely. To bring hope to those that are hurting, no doubt. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, certainly. To support wholesome values, well, of course. To provide for the needy, well, that goes without saying. To teach the Scriptures, well, yeah. To be a model of righteousness, well, yes, of course. What if, what if I told you this morning that the reason for the church to exist is none of those things. All of those things are valuable. And all of those things are necessary. And all of those things are a vital work and a vital function of what the church of God is to do. But they do not capture the central reason for why the church exists. Paul tells us the answer. It's in our text this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, listen to it, do all to the glory of God. And folks, there you have it. Our purpose is to glorify the Lord our God. Whether we're eating or drinking, whether we're hurting or helping, whether we're serving or struggling, the goal is God's glory. And to be sure, the Corinthian church was not the only one that was told to radiate God's glory. If as you meander through the Scriptures, you turn to the book of Romans you'll find this passage in Romans 15, 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Here it is. 
that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the church, we are to glorify God. You can't miss it. When Bryant was preaching at Spicewood, the little congregation community out from Marble Falls, they had a quaint little hundred-year-old frame building. And as you walked into the main entrance, the front of that building, you saw a rope about this big around, hanging through a hole in the ceiling in the foyer. And that rope was attached to a bell in the bell tower of that little church building. And when Bible class was over, someone would go to the foyer and grab that rope and start pulling on that rope and that bell would ring loud and clear to call everyone in the community and tell them it was time for the saints of God to come to worship as it had done for nearly a hundred years. One of the most humorous things that ever happened was we were there one time and my mother decided she was going to ring the bell. Those bells are heavy, folks. And when that bell starts swinging back and forth, that rope just naturally... My mother pulled on that rope real hard, and the next thing you know, my mother's just hanging from the rope as her feet are dangling. And it lifted her off the ground. But here's the point. That bell rings out through the countryside and says, It's time to worship. In that same way, the Scriptures ring out that you and I, we, us, the church, are to glorify God. Just as clear as that bell rang out. The problem is, in this day and age, with our all about, it's all about me religion, with our consumerism Christianity, with our focus groups, we've lost sight of all that. Because we're trying to find a way to make the church appeal to the broadest segment of the marketplace possible. And we've lost sight of the fact that our purpose is to glorify God. If the primary focus, the primary thrust, the main emphasis of what we do is not to glorify God, everything else we do rings hollow. Let's make sure we understand and get a very practical, get very practical about the glory of God. The glory of God must be the underlying motive for everything that we do. Our goal, our desire, our driving force should be a passion for the church and a passion for the glory of God. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine what it would mean if our every action, our every word, our every church activity had as its ultimate goal the glory of God? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 reveals an interesting side effect of this kind of activity. Paul writes, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. 
that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice what Paul said there? As we glorify God, we are glorified in Him. Glory leads to more glory. That's what Jesus had in mind, folks. When Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that others, seeing your good works, what are they going to do? Lord, they're going to glorify the Father which is in heaven. All it takes is one person with a burning desire to glorify God. And that one person that one flame can touch off brush fires of glory that will light up the spiritual landscape. The question is, are you willing? Are you ready? Would you be the one to start the flame? What does it mean to glorify God? The Bible portrays glory for us in three different ways. The first is the holy light that emanates to us from God. We read of that in Exodus chapter 40. When the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Back in that day, far off day and time when God made an appearance, the Israelites knew it. The searing light of God flooded the tabernacle. A second significant usage appears in 1 Corinthians 15. There, Paul portrays it as a unique representation or a distinctive appearance evident in God's creation. And then, John the Baptist tells us of the kind of glory that the church should de demonstrate. It's over in John chapter 1 and verses 23 through 27 where I'm going to be reading. He said, this is John talking, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as he said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. You hear that fiery backwoods preacher and his response to those self-righteous Pharisees? John never sought the glory that belonged to Jesus Christ. Remember later, John's disciples come to him and they ask John, John, why is your ministry decreasing and Jesus' ministry is flourishing? And John said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That's in John chapter 3 and verse 30. Glory. As it relates to the church. Means to elevate and magnify the Lord God as we diminish. It means being occupied and committed to God's way rather than preoccupied and determined to go my own way and have my own way. We cannot seek 
personal glory and God's glory simultaneously. It applies to John the Baptist. It applies to the church as a congregation. It applies to you and to me as individual Christians. It's not about me. How do we live? How do we do it? How do we live our lives in a way that we can say with Jesus, I glorified Thee on earth? We've got to make it a habit that we include God in every part of our lives. How can we radiate the glory of God if we shut God out all week and then just casually touch base with Him or check in on Sunday morning? We've got to meet God often. And we've got to meet God alone every day of our lives. We've got to constantly and consistently and completely open the doors of our heart and our life to God. And we've got to expect, refuse to expect, and refuse to accept any glory that belongs to God. I mean, let's be honest. Our flesh soaks up glory like a thirsty sponge. We crave stroking and we cherish self-advancement. And oftentimes, our flesh gulps down glory all the while we're claiming to do what we do for the glory of God. We've got to maintain a priority relationship with God that's more important than any relationship on earth. Jesus wants and Jesus deserves first place on our list of intimate relationships. You remember how we started just a few minutes ago? Think back to that wedding. Think back to every head turning to look at the bride as she's coming down the aisle. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's our mission. To turn heads so that the world around us looks at the bride of Christ, the church. That should be our passion. That should be our deepest desire. And for that to happen, Jesus Christ has to be the Lord and Master of our lives. For that to happen, the church has to be the most important thing in our life. We've got to stop viewing the church as a business or a service club or a governmental agency or a political party. We've got to see the church for what it is. A living organism. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. And it's time for us to treat her that way. As the bride of Jesus Christ, our Lord. How are you doing with that? Better still internalize it and ask yourself, how am I doing with that? Are there changes you need to make in your life because of the way you've treated the church? Are there attitudes you've had about the church you need to repent of? Let's be standing together this morning. I don't know the needs of your life. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. You might need to come right now and for the very first time confess the name of Christ and put Him on in baptism for the remission of past sins. 
You might need to come and for the very first time make Jesus the Lord and Master of your life. Or maybe you've done that in the, in the past, but you need to come back to the Lord today because of the life you've lived with a heart of repentance. To make Jesus Christ and make His bride the most important thing in your life. This is your opportunity to do that. Or